0: Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here we talk about applying ethics, integrity and courageous leadership in business, education and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real-world experience as a senior executive, so if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of the Business Integrity School, and I am super excited to tell you that today we have with us Benno Dor. Benno, Welcome.
1: Thank you, Cindy. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Let me tell you a little bit about Benno. In his own words, he says he is passionate about growing business the right way, which to him is all about doing that profitably, sustainably, and responsibly, something that Benno calls good growth. Benno, for those of you who don't know, worked at the Clorox Company for over 16 years, and he just retired as the executive chairman and CEO and some really great things about uh, the Clorox company and Benno under his leadership. The company was ranked number 15th on the list of the 250 best managed companies by one poll. He was number nine on the list of most inclusive and diverse U.S. companies on his watch, number seven on the list of the most sustainable companies in the U.S., and number one most trusted and essential company in the U.S. in 2020 something which I don't think would escape any of us given COVID. And we'll talk a little bit about that in this uh, video podcast. So, Benno was also number one on the annual Glassdoor list of the most popular U.S. CEOs in 2017. I'll tell you, if you do a little Google search out there, you can find some of his pearls of wisdom uh, for what got him to be such a great leader. But um, that's not the topic of our podcast today. I'll just put that out there as a teaser for all of you to go figure out. We're going to spend a fair amount of time today talking all about The environment, social, governance, integrity, and ethics in business, and how all of that um, moves together to be uh, good growth. Now today, since Beno is just retired, he's focused on giving back, and he's focused on passing on his experience from over 30 years in global business leadership as both an advisor, a board director, and a coach. It's actually more than both. Three things. Um, In addition to many other, I know. He's a senior advisor at KKR now and he's on the board of the Wella Company and the VF Corporation. He's also involved in his family foundations philanthropic efforts in the support of children, the environment and the arts in order to help make the world a better place for the current and future generations. Now a couple of fun facts about Benno before we dive in he makes wine which I know I have uh, enjoyed during COVID quite a bit, and he says he makes wine just for the joy of it, but also for the headache of it. Benno is a proud German citizen, and he's worked and lived in four countries, which included living in his favorite city in the world, which is Stockholm. So Benno, I've got to start by asking you, what makes Stockholm your, your favorite city in the whole wide world?
1: You know first of all it's a really magical city it's so beautiful it's on the water food is great the summers are really magical uh, in part because they're short it means that people really go out and enjoy it but it's all it also was the first city that i lived in uh, after i moved abroad um, 25 years ago so
0: yeah.
1: you know i f- find that uh, life inflections are often the most meaningful um, uh, to remember. And this uh, was a very important reflection in my life. And I always associate uh, uh, Stockholm with a lot of personal growth. So it has to be uh, the number one for that reason, mainly.
0: That is great. Well, once we can all start traveling again, I have to say, I've not been to Stockholm, but it is um, now moved up on my list of places that I want to visit. Sounds fabulous. So now let's let's move on and talk about growing business the right way, as you call it, good growth, which I love that, Uh, talking and thinking about it in terms of profits and responsible and sustainable growth. But 25 years ago, Benno, that just really wasn't much of a topic at all. And 25 years really isn't that long of a period of time when you stop and think about it. Um, And no one really talked about it either in business or in business schools. So what do you think really was um, the tipping point for that? What caused the change, if you will? Because we've removed, I think, from talking all about profits to starting to get real leverage into the, the stakeholder theory, but it's relatively recent.
1: It's it's very true. As I think back uh, 25 years ago, as you say, I've been in business for more than 30 years. It felt like uh, self-interest and the common good were two different things, and yeah. that um ethics in business just didn't matter to executives. Uh, and I know that sounds painful and harsh uh, looking back, but I honestly think it's true. And today, I think that has flipped. I think that uh, it does matter, first of all. And there's so many examples of companies that have, have done well, and because they did things the right way. And I always hope that Clorox is one of them. Uh, so, So, you know, this, this conflict that executives had in making decisions every day between taking care of themselves and their investors and making money and doing the right thing has completely gone away. And there are so many studies now, whether that's McKinsey or University of Chicago, you name it, that have proven that the shareholder return in the long run uh, that co- companies that do the right thing and that dedicate themselves to, as you said, ESG um, is superior, far superior. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to understand why, I think it's a confluence of different factors as I'm thinking about this. First of all, I do think that there have been a lot of scandals uh, and examples of companies that have failed or have really taken a hit in their reputation and then ultimately also financially because they you know perhaps didn't do the right thing consistently you know if I give you company names like you know without throwing anybody under the bus but uh, Wells Fargo or uh, Enron or Facebook you know um, again good companies but um, ethical issues Um, and I, I think if people hear those names, a lot of, lot more bad associations per studies yeah. come to mind than good associations. Yeah. And of course they're good examples too. So I feel like there's a lot of negative examples where uh, executives, companies, shareholders, uh, communities uh, took a big hit uh, from not making um, uh, the right decisions. Consumers care. Um, I grew up in the package goods business and spent uh, 30 years in in that business. Consumers really care. And there's a different generation of consumers. that not just interested in uh, whether the products work, but what the company that makes the products believe in. Right. And, you know, that's consumers have a lot of power. So, you know, if, if, if you miss out on those trends, and you miss out uh, uh, being seen as a good company, your market shares, your sales will go down. Yeah. Uh, same is true with investors. ESG investing is the fastest growing segment in investing these days. And you know what that means is that as a CEO, you know, you've know got to attract investors. You've got right. to make investors believe in you. And if the fastest growing segment discards your company because you're not doing the right thing, um, you're missing out on a lot of uh, investment dollars. Um, You know, so what that all leads to, I think, is that the self-interest and working ethically have become one and the same thing. And I think that nothing perhaps is more responsible, perhaps also for an increasing self-motivation that I think plays a role as well from executives as the environmental crisis. I think that has played a very big role where executives realize that uh, companies have to act. We have to do better. We have to do our own way. We um, generate a lot of profits. We also need to do a lot better to uh, reduce emissions, uh, use less packaging materials, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That's very, very important. So I would say while there's a confluence of a lot of different things, I would say that the, the tipping point was very much inspired by sustainability and the realization that the private Mm -hmm. sector and companies we we need to do better and the good news is that there's a lot of activity going on and companies are changing their ways and it's sincere and it's here to stay.
0: Yeah, yeah. So th- that's interesting. You think the tipping point was actually the whole sustainability uh, kind of awakening, if you will, by companies. Um, obviously, Walmart was, I think, one of the early companies there with Lee Scott um, back much in the early two so. thousands, jumping on, yeah, which yeah, helped yeah. you know move it out into the supplier arena and otherwise. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. You know, and retailers for a company like Clorox, also, and Walmart, of course, being at the forefront of this have played a major role in that, you know, uh, product listing decisions, you know, the decision which products uh, appear on shelf, were tied to uh, sustainability criteria. And if your uh, products didn't meet uh, retailers' uh, sustainability criteria, which have become stricter and stricter and stricter, and that's a good thing. Uh, your products can't be uh, on shelf and you can't be successful. So retailers play such an important role and there's, there's so many retailers, Walmart being certainly at the very forefront um, who, who, who have put in a lot of leadership and who are influencing thousands and thousands of companies to do better.
0: Yeah, and it's really important to see how that supply chain is connected. It's not just retailers, um, you know, and then there's that's not just there for the one step back suppliers. It's the whole supply chain and working with even academics, John Johnson, who's um, the head of our um uh, one of our departments at the Walton College at um, uh, University of Arkansas actually helped came up come up with a sustainability index that Walmart started with. So I think when you put the power of academics together you know with companies and and engage the power of the whole supply chain, um, and then you get governments to come in as well, right? You can really move all in one direction much more quickly and, and that type of collaboration seems to have really, We'll come to the fore, I would say, um, but with business playing an important role um, last year.
1: I think I I agree wholeheartedly. And As I think about where uh, ethics and the business and doing the right thing is going, uh, one thing that will be vital is an increased uh, increased collaboration between the public sector and private sector and academia. Yeah. Um, We need to get much clearer on what metrics are important we need to get, uh, m- you know, be much more science-based. Mm-hmm. We need to realize that, you know, the private sector and the public sector aren't rivals, you know, the business and um, governments want the same thing fundamentally. But um, that collaborative spirit isn't everywhere just yet. And one thing I would like to see is a much more concerted and collaborative effort between uh, all the stakeholders to come together and align on what the agenda should be and then get barriers out of the way to implement that agenda because as much as we have made progress in some areas, we also need to continue to make progress much faster mm-hmm. and it will only go in a collaborative way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's 100% right. I mean, look how quickly we did move to get vaccines. Uh, you know created for um, the global pandemic i mean that that was unheard of and the world isn't going to slow down it's only going to you know get even more faster and you know all of this was pointed out in, in the uh, edelman trust barometer report that came out the 20th anniversary report was last year when they noticed you know they talked about two things really uh, both uh, uh, the ethics of a company and the competence of a company and uh, not just companies, I should say, of different sectors of society. So they looked at they looked at the business sector, they looked at government, they looked at media, and they looked at nonprofits and. Interestingly, they have the same findings that you just mentioned, which is while business is by far the most competent, so kind of furthest to the right on that, and is seen as more ethical than, than government, if you will, and media, and uh, but not as ethical as nonprofits, that it was really going to be up to the business sector to help pull everybody else along in terms of competence so that we could move more quickly all together. And so it really does kind of rest on the shoulders of, of business to, to lead collaboratively best positioned to do it and you probably had to do a fair amount of that last year in 2020 when Clorox I would say was the it company <laughs> it's so funny Benno I obviously living in Bentonville Arkansas do a lot of my shopping at Walmart and Sam's Club and I've always had Clorox wipes on my uh you know in my house in my cabinet for forever and I was at Sam shortly before about a year ago shortly before the whole crisis hit and i walked by that aisle and I thought, Oh, I've got a few left. I don't think I need to buy it quite yet. Cause you got to buy in bulk at Sam's. I just didn't think I needed that many. And within like two weeks, I haven't been able to find them for like a year. <laughs> They're back now. I have to say, I know, but, um, tell us a little bit about that whole experience and what that taught you about collaboration and ESG and leading yeah. with integrity.
1: So what an event, eventful year it has been for so many companies, and certainly for Clorox as well. Um, you know, the good news is that uh, because we have products that help uh, people against the flu, we have a lot of metrics and a lot of trackers that uh, we look at. Um, so we saw we saw early that there was something coming that uh, was going to be unique. Unfortunately, in in scope. Um, so we acted fast, but you know, when you have a, a supply chain uh, on any product, uh, let's take disinfecting wipes as, uh, as, the, as the example here, you try to run your lines at about 85 to 90% capacity utilization. Um, you know, you, that allows you to be efficient and safe, which is very important. Safety is a very core value in our manufacturing. Uh, department and it gives you a little bit of cushion you know if there's a if there's a uh, a wave of flu or other things uh, uh, flooding or other unfortunate catastrophe we like to help but 85 to 90 percent is uh, how we like to run our lines and what we saw was when the uh, pandemic broke out we saw demand uh, spike by 500 percent wow um you know, there's just nothing that, you know, any anybody can do in the short term, you yeah. know? Um, so for us, you know, what work looked like a year ago was first of all, we needed to keep everybody safe. About half of our employees, we uh, have nine, about 9,000 employees working manufacturing and, you know, those lines uh, needed to, uh, to keep running and the, the plans needed to stay open. So that right. was very important for us to keep everybody safe and put measures in place to do that. And good news is that we had no uh, disruption uh, at all and that our plans remained uh, fully operational throughout. So that was a major accomplishment. That is huge. Then,
0: Congratulations, yeah.
1: And of course we had to, uh, like all companies, uh, migrate to running the business online. Yeah. Um, which in the beginning was, you know, something that we had to get used to. But uh, we leaned into technology very aggressively, and thanks to uh, great new technology, but also a different way of running the business. You know, we used to have weekly and monthly meetings. Now we had daily meetings. Wow. We made decisions much faster. We we empower people to make decisions because that helps you to pick up speed. But uh, you know, switching everything to remote uh, was a pretty major undertaking. But you know a lot of good learnings and frankly we're a better company today for it and we're much faster uh engagement went up people love the the increased flexibility that uh, working from home gives them and the the uh uh, workspace in the future will look different than in the past undoubtedly we will not go back to uh, what it was like and a lot of the good learnings will stay and uh will be better off for it but for us in cloaks the biggest thing was how can we make more wipes quickly we uh, worked with third parties uh, to convert lines that they may have used for other products mm. um, we invested early in additional lines so you know we built additional lines so today uh, we make about 2x uh, what we made up a year ago which is a massive undertaking because yeah. these are not virtual products they're real manufacturing lines right. you real materials uh, sourcing from from all kinds of different places this is complex but I'm very proud of what our team has accomplished. And as you say, so we're in more and more stores now. And uh, it, for most of our product, uh, we're fully back. Uh, wipes is still you know, not exactly where we'd like it to be, but uh, you, you can find it in Walmart and uh, Sam stores and elsewhere uh, quite often now. But uh, you know, the biggest thing for us was, so we had um, 100% of our Uh, volume available for consumers and customers yet demand was 500 percent so because we talk about uh, ethics our dilemma was how do we allocate right do we allocate where we make the most money do we allocate what 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 are we using as a basis for decision and what we decided early on that's the only way we're going to make decisions and the only basis for allocation is what is the right thing so we did forego profits uh, because we didn't ship where it was most profitable to us. Mm. We air freighted often instead of using, you know, trains and automobiles, which is a lot more expensive, as you can imagine. But, yeah. you know, it was, it was the right thing to do to get products into people's hands quickly. And what we did was, and that was probably the toughest choice, uh, we prioritized healthcare workers. So we sent uh, wipes to hospitals, to first responders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we made less money on that. And that also led to out of stocks in stores. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of uh, days uh, engaging, you know, heads of merchandising or CEOs or, uh, you know, uh, division merchandising managers uh, and explain to them why that's the right thing to do. And what was really great was that, um, While well, people were disappointed that uh, we sure. and we were disappointed too that we couldn't deliver products to them, yeah. everybody understood and supported us, and that was so heartwarming that this idea of doing the right thing and putting the products into healthcare workers' hands first was surround was wildly supported by people who didn't benefit from that. Right. And you know, the pandemic was a wonderful example of people coming together to do the right thing as a community. And it's such a wonderful example of uh, how business can be done successfully.
0: Yeah, a global community, really. I mean, I think there are just so many wonderful lessons that we can take from how uh, we were all able to operate together um, yeah. through that and apply it to other major, quite frankly, issues um, for our uh for our world that we're not gonna be able to solve if we don't all work together quickly and collaboratively like climate change and other things. So with the environment, Um, is there anything let's say related to the last year in 2020 and working from home and trying to get the supply chain which is complex in a manufacturing environment up to speed so quickly that um, worried you from an ethical perspective. I mean, fraud is through the roof. They've they've shown that um, in the last year, a lot of reports are showing how high it is. Were you ever worried about anyone cutting corners or doing things the wrong way in order to accomplish speed? And how did you make sure they weren't?
1: No, you know, first of all, because you know, like I said, do the right thing was what we said is everybody will be measured against that. You know. Yeah that's great um, we have a lot of policies and checks and balances and processes yeah. in place for sure yeah um, you know the biggest worry i had was price gauging uh, or gouging i should say so you know uh, there were a lot of cases uh, where you could go online and you saw third parties right. not our customers not us but third parties uh s- sold uh wipes and other disinfecting products at uh wildly inflated prices yeah, and that felt like uh, not the right thing to do so you know even though for us it you know self-interest it didn't matter because we already sold the products to them but we felt like it's the it's the wrong thing to do you know mm-hmm. and it also hurt us as a company so we worked with government agencies with the department of justice with retailers to uh stop people from selling the products at inflated prices so that uh today if you look there's barely anything and yeah. we got a tracker and we always address it right away but yeah. that was probably my biggest thing uh would would people who are irresponsible who aren't part of our company uh would they try to benefit uh, yeah. from this unfortunate situation at consumer's expense and that we've yeah. found uh, is, is just nothing that uh is, is acceptable to us
0: yeah well, that's, that's great that you were able to play a role in starting to and trying to curb some of the fraud, I would say from third parties, that's great. So Benno, do you think after this unprecedented year that we've all lived through and, and figuring out how to collaborate and move more quickly and think differently than we did 25 years ago with self-interest kind of now marrying that up with what's really the right thing to do and thinking about all stakeholders. Do you think that's a movement that's here to stay?
1: It is because um, as we discussed earlier, there's so many external stakeholders who, who will keep companies honest. Yeah. And I think there's there's an additional factor perhaps also, um, where you know, previously people talked about work-life balance, suggesting that work and life are two separate things. Yeah. And today we talk about work-life integration. I think increasingly people realize that who you are at work and who you are uh, in your life outside work has to be one and the same thing. Mm-hmm. The separation mm-hmm. between um, work and non-work, I think, has gone away. And of course, the pandemic embodies that because both you and I are at our homes right now. And right. you know, um, work days look very different. Um, most people don't stop at five, but they might take a break during the day and then uh, pick it back up once kids are in bed, or you know, right. so it's a lot more integrated. And I feel like, um, you know, this excuse of, you know, oh, it's just business, quote unquote, um, has gone by the wayside, rightfully so, because people, people want to do fundamentally, I believe in the good in in humans, people want to do good, everybody wants to do good for themselves, for their families, for their communities. And business is just part of that. And uh, that gives me great optimism that not only is it gonna be here to stay, but uh, we'll, we'll move further and more aggressively and that this is a, an irreversible course and a good one at that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I've actually heard um, some people starting to refer to it as not business in society, but business as society. Yeah. Kind of talks about the blending of it, which I think is a, a whole different, it's, it's just a mind shift, if you will.
1: Yeah, I like that very much.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to have a crystal ball here for a few minutes. We, we, we talked about 25 years ago, business ethics and integrity and ESG, all those topics just worldly were not discussed, weren't on the table. Yep. We know that they are squarely on the table today and front yep. and center and um, feels very different, moves from, from shareholder theory to stakeholder theory and, and beyond. So when you're crystal ball, if you think about what's on the horizon for the next 25 yeah. years. <laughs> what would you predict? What do you think that it, it should look like? What's going to be the next iteration?
1: It's a big challenge because I think if 25 years ago, anybody would have predicted that we are where we are today here with so much progress, I think we couldn't. So um, I'm, I'm probably, in what I'm going to say, not going to stretch enough because I can't imagine how much progress we, we can make. But yeah. the first thing I'd say is collaborative. It's uh, picking up on our uh, more collaboration, um, you know. And we talked about public, uh, private sector, academia. Right. Uh, you know, it's still, I think, uh, business ethics and ESG is still somewhat compartmentalized. Uh, I would yeah. like to see it a lot more collaborative. So that would be first. Second, perhaps is um, more global. Um, okay. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm still a German citizen, even though I've lived abroad for 25 years and I've lived in this great country for. Uh, 21 now Um, the biggest problems that we face uh, that business ethics touch uh, have to be solved uh, at the global level collaboratively I I fundamentally believe that no country can go at it alone no country can win at uh, another country's expense we all share the same planet um, and we have to solve these problems together so I want to see a lot more global collaboration and I'm hopeful um as i always am and then the third one perhaps is more value driven so i tend to be a person who doesn't think that um you know ethics and making money is something that doesn't go together or that you have to feel bad about doing things the right way if you make money because humans do have self-interest and if companies do well and make a lot of money then they can invest in research and they can pay higher salaries and you know good things happen so i think that um also, with the help from academia, uh, frankly, Cindy, um, a better understanding of what the real metrics are and how companies and mm. um, institutions can make a real difference versus just a perceived difference. Yeah, and right. You know, um, I think that would be would be helpful. So, a really clear understanding of value would be important. Uh, for Clorox, for instance, uh, as we as we uh, uh, did our latest round. Um, of our business strategy, which was in uh, 2019, we fully integrated our ESG strategy in our business strategy because we didn't want ESG to be a hobby, right? Would be something that matters to general managers and marketing and salespeople. And you know, we said, how can we dedicate ourselves? Let's take sustainability to things that um, make a big difference, but also have a positive impact uh, on on our profitability. And what we dedicated ourselves to was uh the objective to reduce the the uh, pl- uh the amount of uh, plastic and fiber that we use in our packaging and products by 50 percent five zero in the next uh, nine years that's massive wow. and we don't quite know how to do it but right. what we do know is that you know retailers will benefit less shelf space um you know w- we will uh, have fewer trucks on the road um we will save a lot of money yeah. uh, because we use less materials. Yeah. Consumers will get products that they will like better. They're more right. content. Often they're better. Yeah. Uh, so there's a win, 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 win. Yeah. Um, and if we dedicate ourselves to to that particular metric, as opposed to other metrics, right. it will stick because everybody in the company will be motivated. So yeah. this goal was uh, created with a very keen eye on value creation. And yeah. I think that's uh, probably a good example of how I'd like uh, ethics to to uh, continue to evolve unabashedly with an eye on value creation.
0: So let me ask you with respect to business schools and um, academia in general, um, what do you think are the most important things that academics can do right now to prepare their business students um, better? to enter this, I would just call it, this really disruptive um, world we live in now? Because quite frankly, I don't think it's going to change. I think disruption is the name of the game and it's going to continue. So what can, academia is a little more slowly, they they move more slowly (laughs) than the business world. So what can they do to help their students more to be prepared for that?
1: Well, First of all, I think the skills in general of the future are going to change. You know, It's going yeah. to be less about knowledge. It's going to be more about critical skills. Uh, critical thinking is, is one of them. Uh, imagination, uh, creativity, uh, the ability to see uh, seemingly unconnected, uh, the connection between seemingly unconnected things, uh, the ability to collaborate beyond borders globally, uh, the ability to understand different cultures, um, You know, that's perhaps something that's helped in my career because Germans typically don't do well working abroad. Uh, It's not a cliche, they're a fact. And it's because, you know, Germans like like things a certain way, you know, and therefore when they come into a different country where you just have to adapt and, you know, evolve as a person, they don't want to. And that's a barrier to success. But increasingly business is global. So the the ability to create... um, cultural empathy, um, yeah. um, sensitivity, um, understand what different cultures is about is really critical because collaboration beyond borders is absolutely critical. Yeah. You know, second, um, the world's complex, right? Yes. I think where academia can help is simplify, uh, and really extract what matters from the noise. Uh, One way, of course, how uh, business schools in particular are doing this better than anybody else is through case studies, you know, and by examples, I find that examples teach, uh, teach so much, you know, we talked about some of the negative examples earlier, but there's also so many positive examples. You mentioned Walmart, um, um, other retailers, you know, you got one that's one of the most shining examples in Walmart right next uh, to where you live. Um, I'm associated with another company in the apparel space, VF Corporation. Mm -hmm. Um, They have done so well, in particular, when it comes to responsible sourcing and manufacturing, which is a huge issue in apparel. Uh, Popular companies like, you know, I'm a basketball fan, Um, the NBA, you know, the NBA has done, and the NFL too, you know, increasingly, uh, organizations as diverse as those have done an amazing job becoming better. And I feel like um, these companies, Patagonia, you know, is a well,
0: yes, well yeah. One.
1: So these companies are very successful, very successful, and they have um, uh, they have uh, uh, become more successful by doing things the right way. And then perhaps lastly, what I'd say is, um, you know, one thing I always uh, fundamentally believe in uh, as the most important skill for any student uh, to acquire is leadership. Mm-hmm and um you know leadership isn't following someone leadership isn't about doing things the easy way leadership is about going where no one else has gone leadership is about making other people rally leadership is about telling the truth when telling the truth is not easy you know doing things the right and sometimes the hard way and business schools you know that's not a that's not a uh you know it's a it's a skill that's quite difficult to teach and difficult to acquire. Uh, I'm still working on my leadership skills. It's not something that you're ever done with, but I feel like business schools can do a great job to get people on the, on the right track and in particular teach things like courage. Right, um, right. The ability to, to speak for what is right, uh, right. the ability to um, you know, embrace community and not just self. Right. Uh, those are fundamental leadership skills where uh, universities, colleges, uh, any school, frankly, much earlier than, uh, than colleges, even high schools and middle schools and elementary schools can, can make a tremendous difference. So I would like to see education move much more into that direction.
0: Yeah. Well, good. Then uh, I think that makes all the sense in the world. And I think that uh, uh, at least at Walton College, we are certainly moving in that direction. So that makes all the, it just, it makes all the sense in the world. Tom Peters from um, former McKinsey executive and now well-known leadership guru just wrote about that as well in Financial Times about how not enough business schools are really focused on the leadership, uh, you know, kind of the, the softer competencies, which in today's world end up being, as important, if not more important than the hard competencies. I mean, that's expected. That's the bar. You've got to get over that, but to really succeed, it's everything on top of that. So that's it. Yeah. Well, Benno, this has been a great conversation and I like to end on some fun questions at the end with some, some interesting recommendations of, of things that you've either been watching or reading or, or listening to in some of your, uh, COVID restricted time that has been for fun, kind of a bit of a release, but also when you step back and think about it, it has a bit of an ethical dilemma in it. Is there any uh, good recommendation you have for folks in terms of books or movies or series or podcasts?
1: Yeah. So let's see. Uh, so I just finished uh, watching a British uh, uh, sort of political thriller series called Bodyguard, which is uh, uh, doing really well on Netflix. You'll find it on Netflix, and it's it's really it's uh, six episodes. I think it's gripping. I mean, it's you you can't you can't separate yourself from it. And uh, as I was thinking about it, the, there's a lot of things going on, and I don't necessarily want to uh, you know get to the bottom of it. So those of you who watch it can really enjoy it. But uh, one of the ethical dilemmas that it deals with with is you know in in the rightful fight against terrorism. How much can governments um, invade privacy mm. and get into uh, uh, things that affect uh, citizens' individual rights? Right. Um, I find that privacy and and sort of this this whole um, uh, dilemma that I just described is a very relevant one in our lives today, and it's not going to go away uh, with the importance of data. So uh, it's one that. Um, uh, it's a it's a great show uh that is you know easy to watch and you can you can enjoy at the end of the evening so it's not it's not one that's heavy and you know full of uh, ethics but uh, the underlying current is very much relevant as we think about ethics and i really enjoyed that very much Good. um and then uh, maybe because it's so new to me um Last Friday, I like uh, listening to NPR while I drive. Uh, uh-huh. and drive quite a bit, and um, I listened to a, a, sh- a show on NPR um, where a an author and social activist called a- Adrian Marie Brown, I think, was, and 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 she raised the question: um, Is it okay during the pandemic, where there's so much hardship and people are suffering, and you know, people are losing? Uh, loved ones and it breaks all of our hearts. Is it okay to feel joy? Oh. And is it okay to you know do something that brings you joy? And it's kind of a simple question, right? And but if you think about it, it's a it's a very much an an, an ethical Pretty, dilemma. Yeah, profound and question. It, yeah, the answer though that they that they had for the listeners was absolutely because you know first of all you can you know. If you if you experience joy, it helps you to cope with uh, uh, pain, and and also helps you be effective in everyday life. It releases dopamine; all the important things. Um, and then, of course, you can share joy with others. Uh, and then, if everybody uh, shares joy with other people in this world, the world will be a better place. So, yeah. I was happy they came to that conclusion, It's certainly one I I, I share.
0: Well, that's great. Well, I think that's a great uh, note to end uh, this video podcast on. So, Benno, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your thoughts, and just sharing all of that uh, with us today and the the audience. I know that they appreciate it very much. So, on all behalf of all of us, thank you very, very much for your time. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Cindy. It was, okay. a, it was a joy, so to speak.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.